Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks for being here. Today's guest is writer, actor, and comedian Brett Duggan. We had a great conversation about where his comedy journey has taken him, the Baton Rouge Improv Fest, and we have a really deep talk at the end about character acting it's super fun, so let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Brett Duggan. I know that you went to Emerson College in Boston. That's where you got a, an acting degree, but is that where you're from? Are you from Boston, or are you from California? Yeah, I'm, I, I was born in, in Massachusetts, yeah. Okay. Just outside of Boston, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And so you have your acting degree from there, and you have a master's in acting from UC Davis. Very mm-hmm. cool. I love improvisers who have such strong acting pedigree. Uh, I tend <laughs> to notice that the best, my favorite improvisers are the ones who are also good actors. Did you do improv around that time or before that time, or did improv come later? Gosh, so I, my first sort of improv sketch thing was actually in high school. I was in student government and they wanted us to do a, a, a skit, you know, back then. we want you to do a, we want you to do a skit. So we, we put together a, a funny skit for the, right before the Christmas holiday. And I think that's when I caught the bug. Okay. Like I was just like, oh my God, they're laughing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Like, oh, wow. And, and went out and tried to do stand up my senior year in high school, Catch a Rising Star and stuff like that. The improv started at Emerson and I don't even know, like I was so young and crazy. I don't even know if I was thinking like, I'm gonna go learn to do improv. I just knew there was a comedy troupe and there were a couple of different comedy troupes at Emerson. I mean, it's such a wild school. They have multiple comedy troops, right? I mean, this is this is a place for me. And one of them was really kind of avant-garde and weird, and they didn't like me. And the other one was just kind of a, more intellectual. And then there was the one that was more kind of up the middle, kind of Saturday Night Live style sketch and improv called The Swollen Monkey Showcase. And I was taught improv by my fellow students and and they were fantastic. That last one is the one that you were kind of rolling with or did you get to do anything with either of the others? Yeah, to make it clear, I auditioned for all of these groups and, <laughs> and I, I really hadn't done, I'd done a, like a play in high school and like that skit and stuff. And when I went to this school for acting, I don't know how I got in and I was just eager, you know, I was excited and they had, they had an audition and like callbacks and we were playing games and I didn't even know anything. So, you know, we're playing improv games that have been, that had been at that point around for years and years. And I just thought like, wow, this is so exciting and magical and new. And, and it, and it went real well. And by the, 
you know, that semester we were, we were improvising and writing sketch comedy and we put up a show, but most of the people in the troupe had been there for a little while. So I was, you know, they kind of acclimate you in and yeah, it was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. What you said about catching the bug, making people laugh. That's Mm. such a, I guess maybe a common thing. That's so much of what I experienced too. It's like making my aunt Ruth laugh or making people laugh, especially when I wasn't expecting to get a laugh that was intoxicating. And I, I, that's gotta be what makes us want to get into it. It's that intoxication. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm sort of a, an amateur hack psycho anthropologist. And I really think that laughter is so profoundly important for human communication. I I had a teacher say that it like a, like a yoga instructor said, laughter is involuntary pranayama. So pranayama in yoga is like the deep breathing, right? So like when you laugh, you actually like are oxygenating your brain more and, but also it's involuntary. So it's, it's communication that you didn't mean to do. So basically what it, what it does, this is my, what I imagine is like, you know, two groups of people are running around the woods or whatever nomadic people did thousands of years ago and they run into each other. They don't speak the same language. Right. But one person does something that everybody recognizes as funny and the both groups laugh and they're like, Oh, you're cool. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to kill you. Cause we're all laughing right now. I think. <laughs> And I think that's why it like fills your brain with whatever drugs your brain makes to fe- make you feel awesome when you when you put a couple of thoughts together and express something or spontaneously express something that everybody was just about to think or surprise them with an idea and they all burst into laughter and it just feels feels like drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I also imagine that back in the the you know, maybe even before language was being used, a lot of the comedy was just all, all the, all the things that made people laugh was just physical humor. Yeah. Like me too. You know, like, yeah. like, you know, you, you, you just killed that woolly mammoth. And when you went to skin it, like a bunch of blood squirted out and smacked you right in the face and everybody, and all the other hunters are like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that happened to yeah. me once when I first tried to skin a woolly mammoth. <laughs> and that's just, that would be like the most hilarious thing. Or, or you, you picture, you know, um, I think picture people picture like, after the hunt or after gathering people around the fire telling those stories and for some reason you know serious anthropologists always picture those as like serious stories but they were probably fucking hilarious you know right, <laughs> right? people like you know surviving day to day you gotta laugh so that's that's my that's my amateur anthropology <laughs> oh that's funny you also did a lot of stage work. I imagine you did in college since you were an yeah. acting major. Yeah. Did you go straight into your master's program right after graduating college? I, I did not. I did not. And I think, you know, I, I didn't go straight into Emerson and I didn't go straight into my master's program. And I thought that was a, a looking at the time I was, I was like, Oh, what am I doing? But looking back, it was great. It was great. I, I, 
graduated from Emerson. I started a comedy troupe and we had a weekly show and it was sold out and it was crazy. And, and when that thing exploded, like (laughs) most, most of those groups with a lot of brilliant people, you know, we didn't know how to, we didn't have an HR department, if you know what I mean. Like right. it just got crazy. And and me and my buddy from that group uh, moved to New York City. And so I'd had all this experience. And then and then after that I moved to California. Oh and wow. Wasn't, yeah. So I had all this experience. Moved to New York. He and I doing a a fringe festival show. We wrote a musical, The Gall. We had to, we wrote, <laughs> wrote a, a musical and and I did stand up all around New York and then moved to California and tried to quit comedy. Oh, I wow. Tried, okay. I, I tried for a couple of months. <laughs> oh, wow. So, okay. So uh, the move, how long were you in New York? I, I have no idea. It's all such a blur. It was like from a, a couple of years before 9-11 to a couple of years after. I mean, it's like going okay. back. You yeah. Know, like, and so I, I, yeah, and that was great, you know, but New York is, you're in New York now, you know, New York is like everything all the time, like the song goes, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and I remember just lying at, in bed at night, like, just, just like feeling like, what is that, you know? In fact, I'll steal a joke from my friend, Al, who I moved to New York with. He now lives in Australia with his family, but he was, he would say, you go, you know, New York is tough. It's like, nah, 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 all the time. It's just, nah, 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 nah. And that's actually the guy standing behind you on the bus. That's a good and, joke. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> joke. He's a brilliant joke writer. And, and so that was, I was just like, when I went to visit some friends in San Francisco, the, 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 the went away. And I was like, oh my God, uh, it's so cool here. Yeah, and I love San like, Francisco. And people are so chill, you know, like there, there's there's less like divides between people. It's very California, you know, like any, you're just yeah. talking to anybody all the time. <laughs> you instantly just fall into it, you know, you're just like, oh yeah, dude, whatever, you know. <laughs> and But I, I, I spent a couple months not doing comedy. I got this job shining shoes oh wow which which sounds funny but it was it was the greatest job because because the time difference when i first got there no one would get up early but i was already like waking up at six o'clock in the morning so i would go and shine shoes for people going to work like on in the san francisco like stock market they all got up super early i would go in and shine shoes for for people and i'd be done by 11 or noon and I didn't have to think they taught me how to do it. It was, you know, you know, but after, after a while I would start, I would just start going like, do you want me to be quiet? Do you want me to listen to you? Or do you want me to tell you a story? That was my opening line. Oh, wow. And sometimes they'd say, yeah, I just want to sit here quietly and be like, cool. Cause the worst thing is like when you get your hair cut or something and they're like, so I was bye, 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 bye. I don't think and you're just like, shut the fuck up. I just <laughs> it's wanna... like, I need to be in my head right now. Yeah, yeah. I need to think about shit. I got a life, you know, or other times you, you kind of want to be entertained uh, mm-hmm. or you want to have mm-hmm. a conversation. So I would give mm-hmm. them that option. And so many of them started coming back and be like, tell me another story. 
And mm. I would just like tell them their, my funny stories and, and they would come back and they'd give me big tips. And so it became this thing where like, I was working at this fancy shoe shine telling jokes. And I was like, ah, I'm a fucking stand-up comic. I need to go back and do this again. That only lasted <laughs> a few months when I started, I started doing it again. But I guess the I, benefit of working six to 11 uh, opened up the rest of the day for anything else you wanted to do. Yeah, it was, all, it was great. At first it was just explore the city and then, you know, make friends or, and then time to just sit in a cafe and, and write jokes. Mm -hmm. It was great. I mean, it's a little, the transition between doing a gig and that became difficult yeah. later. And right. I ended up, I ended up get, actually getting a job, like a day job teaching computers, but it was like teaching windows to old people who didn't know how to turn on their computer. It was like, I know. Yeah, it was great. It was a great game. It was like my first teaching job. Yeah. And that's when I oh. discovered that I also like teaching. And so, wow. yeah, but it was the, the strangest thing. It was just this, this computer and they, they didn't have me teaching any of the fancy programs. They had me <laughs> teaching people like, okay, the, the on switch is here and this is how yeah. you get windows up and this is how you do a screen save. And this is how you, you know, like all this silly stuff. You know, I think there's still probably a market for just that level mm. <laughs> like like because yeah. my parents still need to figure out like, especially my mom still oh. has a hard time sort of figuring out some of those basics and it's like you're doing email and you're reading uh, soap opera digest online like you can do everything you need to do on the internet you already are <laughs> capable of, but she acts like she's not capable of it. Yeah, I've I've noticed that, and there's like an intimidation factor. Mm -hmm. My mom is is pretty sassy, like she's <laughs> she's pretty good. But my my dad bef before he passed would would be like, ah, I think it's, I, I I think I got a virus, and I think I think they're watching me. You know, I was just like, okay, yeah, well, no, that's not happening. But it seems like it could because <laughs> there's a camera on there and. It's probably easy to hack your computer, but nobody cares what you're doing. So it's probably not happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, <laughs> I think that a big part, and this is a total divergent discussion, but no, it's okay. I think it would be super helpful for people of a certain age to take a class just so they have the basics. So they don't get their Facebook hacked or don't give, you know, don't click a link yeah, in a don't, spam don't thing. Open. <laughs> Don't open that email from like something you don't recognize and press that link that, or, or answer that thing from all it has is like a logo from AT&T. And it's like, please, please put all of your bank account information in this. Yeah. <laughs> that happens probably to older folks. Yeah. And it'd probably be mm -hmm. like, like when you're thinking about like good day jobs for, for comedians, that'd be a, That'd be an awesome thing. If someone, someone, someone yeah. out there, maybe one of your listeners will start that business. Like, yeah, maybe me, go, maybe that's what I'll start. Yeah. Go around <laughs> it. We, we'll do it together. I'll find some investors. Yeah. We'll you send, send comedians around to like daycare centers and golf courses, teaching old people <laughs> how to, they'd have to move to Florida though. Cause that's where, that's where no, they that's all true. go. That's, yeah. Cause we couldn't do it online. Cause the whole point is that they don't yeah. really, that would be the trick. It would be cause they would, you'd be like, Oh my God, they do house calls. It's like when I was a kid and they would love that. And you'd show up and oh, yeah. teach them stuff. We're already creating something together. Only yeah, 20 minutes into the conversation. It's great, but let's get to your comedy journey again and your acting journey again. So yeah. you 
eventually in California, you get back into comedy mm-hmm. and what so were you just doing stage then, or had you also started picking up some of the TV film gigs? It was, you know, I think I did a couple of student films and like crappy little things, but it was mm-hmm. mostly going, just driving around, you know, I kind of got back into doing stand up, And so I was just, you know, driving all over the place, doing this gig and that gig and, and loving that. I think I, at one point I, I did a sketch comedy show with a really, really interesting group of people. And it was, it had some funny name like Richter scale, like <laughs> the earthquakes and <laughs> so, but it was mm. a great, it was a great sketch, com- like a satirical, social, political sketch comedy show that we, that we put up and it's kind of a big, it was a hit for a little while there in San Francisco in a small theater, you know, it's like it did well and people went to it. And then I, I started, I decided to to actually study improv because I'd never done it like in classes like other people had done. And and while I was doing stand-up, you know, I was doing stand-up, I had my little teaching job, teaching computers. And I started, I started at Improv One at Bats Improv in, in San, San Francisco. Francisco. Cool. And they were like the most popular theater company in San Francisco at the time. They sold out every one of their shows. They did a combination of like theater sports, but they also did really cool long form genre improv, like one act plays and musicals. I mean, they were, they were badass and mostly Keith Johnstone as their, their root. So they were, they were like, uh, impro, you know, Keith Johnstone impro, and they would have, they would bring Keith Johnstone out, um, twice a year to do like week long workshops. You know, when he was still doing that, I don't know if he's still doing that. He's like a million. And so went through their whole program and it was really humbling, like just to go in and just, they're like, yes, and we're starting there. Oh my God. Okay. And then <laughs> yeah. I, I did that all the way till I was a Sunday player with them. And when I auditioned for the main company, I sort of choked and I didn't, I, I didn't realize you could just audition again in another couple of months. I was just kind of uh-huh. like, I just kind of went, this is a lot of my very, you know, the the advantages and disadvantages of certain personalities, like being impulsive and overly emotional is really useful as an actor and a comedian, but in life, it makes things. So I was just like, ah, fuck them. And I can't believe I didn't get into their main company. I don't know. But, and just started applying for grad school at that point. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that's how that comes back into the fold. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, well, you well, answered that question, but it's a long answer because it's a journey, you know? And yeah. Was, like, I got, th- I got to that point and I was like, I was already, I was already playing with them on Sundays, which actually kind of worked out great. Cause on Friday and Saturday I was doing stand up, and I was already like a teaching assistant for their improv classes. Cause it was already something I was interested in doing. And, and then I, and then I went, okay, where is this going? Like, what am yeah. I? Am I going to like work goofy jobs and like, I, you know, I'd seen, I'd seen some of my friends like just blow up tonight show and like, you know, HBO specials. And I'd see the other ones who maybe even were more talented, like go nowhere. So I was like, this is a tough business. Mm -hmm. I better like, I better have another thing that I love doing, or I'm going to, spend half my life in a grind. Yeah. 
you know, and the other half doing the thing I love. Why not just do what you love the whole time? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I went, so then I, I, I applied to grad school and I got into UC Davis and I was amazed because they still, they still did like full scholarships. If you just, all you had to do is teach a class and it paid all your fees for school. And I was like, what is this 1970? Like, what is going on? It's amazing. You know, a lot of those, a lot of, a lot of grad students, you know, up through the seventies and eighties didn't pay for grad school. Yeah. I used to hear about that. Yeah. That was like a thing, right? Well, when I was, when I was, I'm going to give my, my age away, but when I was a wee baby, the kids in high school would move to California for two years and then go to college for free. And we're talking like UCLA, UC Davis, UC Irvine, those places were free if you lived in state. And now they're among the most expensive schools in the country. Oh yeah. yeah. I guess it's not such a radical idea that Bernie Sanders is talking about. No, no, everybody's- People used to do that. (laughs) Yeah, they're trying to spin it into like, it's communism. It's like, no, it's actually America. (laughs) It's actually something that we used to do 40 years ago. Yeah, um, and it's also just another four years beyond the rest of it that you're giving away for free. How is it like yeah. communism? Like it's like right. we also have a fire department. Do you know that? <laughs> yeah. That's that's socialism too. <laughs> so anyway, so like college was basically I, you know, I they forced me to teach an acting class. So I had to learn how to do that. And then mm-hmm. from morning to to the middle of the night, I was acting, learning acting, learning devising, studying about you know, deep dives into plays. And I did five plays while I was in grad school. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Everyone. I mean, if, if I could do that, I was like, if I could do this for the rest of my life, you know, I would, and I've been trying to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and doing a bunch of other things. I would, I would think I'm wondering during this stage from when you first started doing improv through bats improv, what sort of improv did you gravitate towards? Was it short form? Was it long form? Was it both? And I've always been like Switzerland when it comes to like the whole improv argument. Right. Because because from the Johnstone side, Johnstone, I believe, created theater sports partly for the audience, you know, get those Canadians who love to go to hockey games like excited. But also, to if it's done well, mm-hmm. it should train you to be an amazing long form improviser. It's not Absolutely, a one yeah. or the other thing, right? Like, and and I mean, this jumping forward a lot. But when I got involved in Impro, which is another Johnstone based theater company, that was their whole journey. They started as a theater. Sp- they started started as theater sports, and now they do the longest <laughs> genre improv you'll ever see. They do full length plays in the style of like Tennessee Williams or Shakespeare or you know Sondheim. I mean, and all of those all of their main company players started with games. You know, so this this weird thing that I hear a lot come up, like ah, I hate. I hate games. I'm like, well, it might be why you're not as good at long form as you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand not liking the way maybe some people do it. But the thing is, right. 
that's true for long form too. Yes, right. <laughs> I think what it is is that long form is just so hard that it it's sort of a self-cleaning oven. Like if you're not mm. good at it, you're just going to be like this is too painful. But mm. if you're not if you're not good at short form, and I won't give any specific examples because I don't want to insult anybody, you can get away with being crass and stupid and people who've never seen improv are just like, that's freaking amazing, right? Yeah. Because it's that dichotomy, it's like that, that finding that balance between like, yes, it's improv and we're making it up on the spot. But if that's the whole show, the, those people are going to go back to that show and go, wow, it's kind of, are they really making it up? Because it's sort of the same thing again. Right. You know? Right. right? I, I think it's unfair for people to pin short form as just hack comedy. They're hacks who do short form and long form. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know? you're absolutely so right. like hack is what's yeah. bad, not the form itself. Right. And when you see, when you see, like a theater sports or or even a comedy sports show done well it, it is awesome mm -hmm. it's so fun for the audience it's a great way for people who aren't interested in theater at all to go and be kind of indoctrinated into the whole idea and some mm -hmm. of those audience members will end up going to Shakespeare in the park that summer or like right, right. which they would have never done before hadn't they seen you know a comedy sports show right and so i think when people are kind of i don't know you know but comedians have to be opinionated like it's part of the job so yeah you know, so they end up saying things like ah if i can hang chart farm nah. it's like all right well that's cool <laughs> you know everybody can have their opinion but i i'm just of the mind like if you if 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 you really understand that it's not a competition right and that it's all performative mm -hmm. and that and the, and then and then if when you see it done really well and there's like kind of through lines and fun like people are playing characters the moment they walk out the whole thing is a show then it's like oh that's cool but more and more over the years i've been just it's just been more complicated forms that, that right. fascinate me just because it just, you know, I really love like out of a free form style that that sort of what people just call generally long form, mm -hmm. which is like, we don't know what's going to happen. And right. And scenes might come back. They might not. Some of them might be long and some of them might be short. And, and like, we'll just, that's really fun. But I'm also really fascinated with Harold and like very structured like the the things that have come from that over the years all these kind of wild things that you can do when you kind of put together a skeleton and then improvise everything that happens in between and then and then the latest love that before i left los angeles three years ago for for a couple of years i was training like like i said full length you know hour-long plays which is a whole nother beast gosh i mean it's so much that you've done you have such a I feel like illustrious career because, you know, there's this time period that you're talking about and then you know, you've gone on to do, uh, even more of those things. And now in addition to that, you have 
some music stuff that you've done, yeah. your Brett talks, yeah, and you started in NBP, the production company that you have, and you're now in Louisiana. At, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're teaching and doing workshops and classes there. I mean, it's it's amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I think being an improviser, and and then implying that to your life, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, I, along the way, I've, I've always, I've always kept some little website. I don't even have one up right now, but I met my wife. I became, we, we ran the actor studio of Orange County and then one in Los Angeles. And we were, so I was teaching acting a lot. And, and I would always, we'd always put a little thing up on the website, like training for cor- corporate training and stuff like that. Cause I've done a lot of that over the years too, not consistently, but you know, it's great to make a get a good paycheck from some giant corporation for doing improv games with them all day you know and it's a it's a good gig if you can get it and Mm -hmm. uh but that's the way i live too so when i moved to los angeles after after san francisco and uc davis i was kind of felt like oh my god this is a gigantic ridiculous place how am i ever going to meet people so i just went and did the second city conservatory and I was like, I always wondered how they created uh, sketch comedy from improvisation. And one day I was, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd had this idea probably since I was 10 to do, to do uh, a show that was like the history of music. Oh, cool. And I, I only had two songs that I had written. Some of my stand-up act, when I was headlining, I would do like the last 15 or 20 minutes, I would pick up a guitar and play the songs I wrote and do silly impressions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of almost like making fun of guitar comics, like in a weird <laughs> meta way. But items that I'd written, they're really catchy, and but they were very genre. Like one was mm-hmm. very specifically a doo-wop song that I'd written mm-hmm. with my comedy partner. And the other one was like clearly like making fun of you know, indie music. And I, I went to this, I went to the, and I was like, how do you get a show on the main stage? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, you know, it's kind of reserved for folks who are move here from Chicago and Detroit who have been, you know, actual second city alumni, you know, who've done their big shows. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but he goes, but what's the idea? And I made up the name in the moment, in that conversation. I said, it's, it's the untold story of indie rock. And he was like, that's fucking cool. I go, he goes, write me a pitch. So I went home and I made up the pitch that night. I emailed it to him. And then I wrote another song that night. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was the, the idea was that you're, you're watching a stage show, but we're, we're doing a satirical documentary of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just Every band, I always imagine like history is what we remember, but what if it was like the untold story should be everything you never heard of, but that was really influential. So I basically invented 12 bands from history that you'd never heard of. Things like the the new wave band was called like the Flock of Rocks. You know, okay. they, they were all just these silly parody. <laughs> like t- I invented twelve parody bands and wrote them each a song. <laughs> awesome. 
and and we started rehearsing i i cast it and started rehearsing because the artistic director said i'll give you a wednesday night three months from now and i had three songs and no cast and <laughs> we just started i just got a group of talented second city folks who were taking classes there and they were all great musicians and singers they were all more talented than me and we got together started rehearsing and i just kept bringing in song ideas that they would help me whack them out and eventually we had a song for every one of these bands and first time we did the show it got a standing ovation oh sweet you know and, and we were like holy, holy shit and then within we did it a bunch more and within a year it was a main stage second city hollywood show which was the thing that he told me was impossible it wouldn't happen because none of us none of us were second city alumni and but it was like the first time they broke that mold oh, wow and, that's awesome it was really fun and then we and then it sold out and got extended for a year until until that was over does that live anywhere is that there are clips of it at least on youtube is it, i mean this sounds like a really great idea yeah yeah it's a funny it's a funny thing like there might be clips but it was always really hard to get it to sound like it did mm. to the audience and right or and, you know because the whole like there's something about stage where you're just so much of it is imagined and right and people watching television where they're spending like ten thousand dollars a minute to make you know game of thrones look like a movie right and then you film a theater piece and and like it just looks bad <laughs> like it's just like it doesn't matter yeah. that the people are falling out of their chairs and then also there's this little factor of like comedy moves so fast there mm -hmm. are a couple of things that are in, were in that show that i would never play for people because it would be so offensive <laughs> <laughs> but at the time it was like right on the edge and there were just it was enough that people were just shocked and laughing and it was funny but mm -hmm. now it'd be like the place would be picketed i won't even mention what those things are because i you know oh i mean comedy i feel like you know that's one of the things people uh at least people who've been doing a com comedy for a long time like seth rogan mentioned this that it's like comedy changes like what's okay at a one time yeah you know, it'll age differently. And that's just a reality that we have yeah. to accept. And, yeah. and I, I totally agree with that because you know, what, what culture was okay with at one point in time, whether they were right or wrong for it at that yeah. time, that is still what those still, what the parameters were. Right. And so yeah. anyone creating stuff then is like, Hey, this is what people allow us to do so how am i doing something wrong you know right and it's so, so. and and, and all, it, it's, it, it's also just an imaginary construct like what that thing is <laughs> right. that's allowed because there right. are so many people in the world so you're right. trying to take the temperature of what comedy audiences what does that even mean like right in any one audience you say who's never been to a comedy show and and 15 people raise their hand so it's like <laughs> yeah so how do you even know so like it's it's really just become you know and this is a whole nother topic but it's really just yeah. become you know the loudest voices get the vote yeah and and that's i guess that's kind of always been the case but we didn't hear all the voices back then right. and right. now right. we hear all the voices so it's just sort of like pick and choose which ones you want yeah. to listen to and and <laughs> i swing i kind of swing between like what bill burr says which is like mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> he's just like, he's like, yeah, that's just one person that's upset. But I just <laughs> filled a seat, you know, I just filled a theater full of 800 people and the rest of them love it. So I don't, I don't give a shit. 
And, yeah, um, that makes sense too. And also, like so many times when you read an article of fans were upset about such and such, whenever I read those articles, the tweets that they use are liked by twelve or less people. Right. Exactly. So it's, it's like, it's is this ideas. blowing up? You know, like, is this something that everybody right. is saying? If only right. like you have three examples and they're like 15 likes between the three of these tweets right. and two retweets between the three of these tweets. So you want me to think that everyone is saying this now? Like that's yeah. even by your examples here in this article, that's not true. So what are you talking about? Right, it's, right, exactly. It's clearly clickbait and it's clearly like right. trying to rile people up. But I but I also do believe in those, you know, I even in in my stand-up, I do believe like those those improv standards of like play to your highest intelligence. Don't be cruel and mean. Right. Right. Yeah. That's simple. You know, that simplifies it so easily. Right. And 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 also like just and also don't be don't be stupid don't be mean right. and stupid because i would never even if there were 800 people in the audience to have three people feel like they were being ostracized or humiliated because of their sexual orientation or their right. race or their you know like i would never want that so i've never i've never in my own i i've very wise man said to me a long time ago is like you know what the funniest thing is make it funny yourself yeah because because nobody i mean if somebody gets offended when you're making fun of yourself they are clearly the crazy person <laughs> yeah right? yeah you know? we've all seen that person in a show and they stand up and make a big deal at it i was at a show once where somebody stood up and it wasn't it wasn't a stand-up show but it's like comedy elements to it and right, somebody right decided to start yelling about something that the person wasn't even talking about. It's like, okay, like you're offended, but not about anything that actually happened. No, no, you're, 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 I call that offended waiting to happen. You know, like I'm, right. it's like a gun that's loaded and the sight is just swinging around and it's just waiting for something that's in it still, you know, it's like, right, right. and that's okay. Like people are going through whatever they're going through and they probably should just work it out with a therapist and like, and, and, because people right. do suffer from trauma, you know, right. that's a real thing. Like, I think, I think this would be another thing we could invent. We, not only do you have bouncers, but the bouncer just takes them right into a therapy session. Like you just go, <laughs> like, or probably to AA, which would be the other place they might, pe might need to go if you're screaming your head off in a comedy club where you're not the one on stage. Like, just, this is an intervention. We'll, we'll figure out what's wrong with you, and we'll, hopefully, the rest of your life will be happy. I, I think it's I think it's important in a comedy show also to just say at the beginning, like, so this is how it works. Like the people up here either improvise or tell jokes into this microphone, and you guys laugh, and you're and feel free to talk about it after it's done. And if right. you do, if you do talk or scream at the uh, at the at the performers, that big guy or gal at the at the door is going to escort you out. Or you're welcome. If you're offended, you're welcome to leave and yeah. and tweet about it. Like just to say all those things. I think I think um, some of that gets forgotten to be said. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of shows, because we've all sat in the audience and rolled our eyes. Go, ah, oh, I'm the I know, like. It, yeah, but it's not for you. It's not for the person who knows, 
right? right. So when you're putting a show together, you go, oh, I don't want to do one of those announcements because they're irritating. But they <laughs> solve 95% of the problem. <laughs> right. Right. You know, you know, so much of what we accept now won't be accepted in the future. And so much of what we do not accept now will be accepted no. in the future. So yeah, the pendulum you know, will just, swing back and forth. Right, right. So just don't be mean and stupid. Be funny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's an easy directive to follow. You know, that's an easy thing to yeah. follow. And also, you know, read, read, watch the news and keep up with what is right. actually happening. So you don't actually, you know, so, so you don't accidentally quote a Nazi and think it's smart you know like right right because that shit happens people are like i don't even know sergeant said that i just was saying something and you're just like well pay attention a little bit so you don't get get put your foot in your mouth with some with something you thought was a good idea but really sounds a lot like something some horrible person is saying right yeah but that's your job if you're an improviser that I feel like if you're an improviser doing any kind of improv show, if you're a stand-up comedian, I mean, this sounds like so basic, but pay attention to what's going on in the world. Yeah. You know, you should be you, pretty learned if you're going to talk about stuff all yeah. the time, you know, in front of yeah. people. Like, you should actually know what you're talking about if you're going to bother doing that. Yeah. You know, and people overstep that all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they start yeah, yeah, talking yeah. like they're an expert on something, and it's like, you don't know anything about the subject, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> you know, uh, going let's... all the way back to the untold story of indie rock, and you were like, Does, that sounds like a great idea. Like, I've often thought, like, I have all these songs. Mm-hmm. The formula, could I could literally just write parodies to the yeah. songs I've written. Like, it could be the right. same music and just update. The, the other idea that I have kind of cooking in the back of my brain, which will happen someday, is I really think it's an awesome way to, actually teach high school kids about the history of rock and roll because it plays all these different genres so i'd have to like rewrite all the lyrics make them like high school friendly Mm -hmm. because they're not enough there's like high school musical and there's grease (laughs) and then every other musical is totally inappropriate for high school students to play (laughs) right because they're like have to play like an old man or like a 30 year old or whatever (laughs) right so that's something that's on the back burner i'll probably take i'll probably rename it and rewrite all the songs to but it'd be a great way to like because the the performers play the music so yeah. kids who play drums and guitar and bass and keyboards to learn every genre of, of every major genre of rock and roll since 1956 that'd be um, super cool if you ask me yeah i um, think so I, really I agree <laughs> i agree with me <laughs> and you <laughs> So NNBP, your production company, it stands for Not Normal Band Production. So is right, it, right, right, right. Cre- it is it creating music mostly, or is it kind of anything under an umbrella? Yeah, it it was sort of a you know with too many ideas. You know, I think I think that's the when you're kind of living improvisational philosophies. You, mm-hmm. The big problem, and I'm I'm sure a lot of your listeners will, will find this, is like I have too many ideas. Like, what do you, what do you do? And a lot of that is, is getting, capturing those ideas as clearly as possible and archiving them in a way that when I come back to them, there, it's not going to be some half-assed version of the original, like, spark 
that happened. So there's there's that, and then just that that little production company has produced two independent television pilots that we tried to sell. One of them came actually pretty close, like talks at Netflix and stuff like that. And the musical that I created and other musical projects that came from, we've got like a children's comedy music thing that we're we're working on. And so it's just a bunch of, it's basically just a bunch of uh, side product projects like put under one umbrella. Okay, cool. Yeah, if that makes sense. If yeah, makes no, sense. it does, it does. Okay. Yeah, and and so basically, what happened? If we could not talk for three hours, try to move the. My wife and I had a baby, mm -hmm. and we we're living in Los Angeles. And anybody who knows Los Angeles knows that it's a half a million to get into a horrible house. Like, yeah. and so we just started applying to be college professors because she's a she's an acting teacher and she's written a book on acting called Seven Pillars Acting, which is brilliant. And uh, it's what we taught at our, our studio that she, and we started just, apply, we just applied everywhere. We thought it would take years and it took three months when the interview started and LSU hired my wife as the head of the undergraduate performance and then hired me as an adjunct professor. And so we both work in the same department at LSU, which is impossible to pull that off. It's really hard. <laughs> and and so, you know, and they, they're giving away houses here, like for the price of a tuna sandwich. And it's it's oh. so like, I mean, to be serious, less than our rent. Yeah. It's crazy. So then yeah. we move here and I'm thinking, oh God, like, is it gonna be, I mean, is it going to be like, da -da 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 -da. like so this is far south as you can go without getting <laughs> yeah, into yeah. the water? You know what I mean? <laughs> Mississippi River is like a couple of miles from our house. You know, there isn't a day I'm not driving around like, why is this giant black pickup truck following me? It's like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like I thought I was I was like coming from like the Northeast and and you know, super liberal San Francisco and, and, and Los Angeles. I was like, Oh God, what's it going to be like? And I was so pleasantly surprised. Like the people are so like, everybody I've met is so nice. That Southern hospitality thing is real. There's definitely I'm from the South. And yeah, yeah I know you, it's like, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. where I grew up, you don't start conversations with strangers or else no, yeah. you look at, People look at you in Boston. They look at you like, "Are you fucking crazy?" Like, <laughs> yeah, no. Like they're, they're so actually common. trying to figure out, "Are you crazy?" Like as <laughs> yeah. staring at you. But well, you know, if you go out, if I go in my lawn and the neighbor walks by, I got to be prepared for a forty-five minute conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's bad. Rude. I was just there for the holidays. I was waving at everybody because that's what you, that's what you do. That's what you do. And if you don't, you're an asshole. So it's like, okay, right. it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what kind of comedy scene or improv scene was going on. And you're at quick... Latco improv, right? Yeah. So, well, I mean, this is, this is like, I, I came down here and I sent Latco an email, I sent uh, Betty and TC and, and Moss an email cold email never met him hey i'm moving to town this is what i've done uh what's going on do you want to meet these guys met me out of the blue michael moss sat down and talked to me for like two hours like i was like what is going on these people are so nice you know we just hit it <laughs> off and they were so sweet and then my first day at lsu another professor who i just met walked up to me and said 
look, I advise the improv team and I don't know anything about it. Do you want to take over? And I was like, oh, I didn't even know there was <laughs> like, I was like, okay, cool, <laughs> cool. And, and so I, I, within a couple of weeks went from being their advisor to being also their coach mm -hmm. and they, they decided to step up and start rehearsing five days a week, which is just unbelievable. Oh, like yeah, they, it is. <laughs> they meet every day. And then we, you know, we talked about that and they, they decided that Friday would be a show. So they may, they, they rehearse four days a week and, and do a show on Fridays. Not everybody makes it every day, but some of them do, you know, and they got, they got really good. I would coach them a couple of days. And so I, I quickly kind of realized, like, I practically knew everybody in town that did improv. Yeah. You know, I started I taught, teaching a class at LACCO and coaching them and, and, and doing, doing improv shows and stuff like that. And what happened next was the, the LSU improv went to Houston and won the regional competition. Mm -hmm. And they came back and they were like, Brett, we basically came in last place last year. I was like, well, you put it in the work, you know, we're, you know, this is amazing. You guys are awesome. And so I took that little piece of information and went to the, 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 the Dean uh, the chair of the uh, theater department. And I said, I think we should have an improv festival. And I thought it was going to be like, well, what's that? And why, what? And what, da, da. And she just mm -hmm. said, what do you need? That was the next. <laughs> it was, was that like, easy. I was like, damn, that's oh, yeah, hooray. <laughs> you must've taken some improv classes. Cause uh, she was like, <laughs> what just, do you need? Yes, did that. <laughs> yeah. So what do you, what do you, so I said, I just shot for the moon. I was like, can we get the big studio theater? for a week <laughs> and, she, and she said yeah we could probably do that i was like whoa that just worked and, and then the pandemic hit right <laughs> so i was like, i was waiting for that yeah I was, right I was actually like and, oh that's coming and so we so that was all like it, the whole thing was in flux and then at some point i don't remember when let's just do the whole thing online i don't know how to do that I don't know how it's going to happen, but maybe if we do that and, and, and if we can pivot to something else later, you know, at least we have something happening. I, you know, I, I talked to all these people. I just went crazy. I just talked to usually people I knew or, or like one degree of separation from people that I knew. Uh -huh. And we got this because people didn't have to travel to Baton Rouge. We had like, Three former artistic directors from Second City, like some Chicago. We had groups from New York, London. We had a group from India. We had groups from, and, and just this incredible group, like all these amazing, like people that were my heroes, you know, mm -hmm. who had agreed. They're like, yeah, we could jump on a, on you a know, Zoom, a Zoom <laughs> call and be part of your festival. Like it just all seemed like... <laughs> It all seemed like silly and fun, you know? So we had like groups like, that come to mind, like like the boys from Chicago who are Rachel Mason and Susan Messing. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like they're like, they're legend. I mean, among yeah. improv people, they're legendary. We had oh, yeah. Brian, Brian Lohman and Kelly Holden Basher who are, you know, Kelly's been on like 
Fargo and like all these shows <laughs> like <laughs> and they they did like this musical thing like in the studio with their with their piano player they do this amazing thing called the Velours which is like the the best musical improv you've ever seen they've been doing it forever they're they're both genius level performers like and then it just went on and on like I could just spend ever yeah. talking about who and then and then everybody local that I could get to agree to do it and and we put together a team and I, we had this amazing group of people who stepped up uh, to help out and people even donated money we weren't even a nonprofit yet and people donated money to help make it happen and just a few weeks before we went up the pandemic did one of those oh, I th we think it's ending, you know, <laughs> we mm -hmm. think it's kind of winding down. And we were able to, the Baton Rouge has like this $9 million library downtown. It looks like a spaceship landed in the middle of downtown. <laughs> and, and so it's this, and you know, and to go back to real estate, like if that had been in LA, it would be a hundred million dollar library. You know what I mean? It's like a beautiful, mm -hmm beautiful place and they've got this giant conference room with the state-of-the-art technology and you know screens that come down when you press a button and all this beautiful beautiful with like you know if we knew what we were doing we could do like hybrid shows where the performers can test for covid and get up on a stage we can film them with like a peanut gallery and it would be pretty cool but it, yeah, it was just an idea. We had no idea how to actually do it. The people in the LSU theater department, the theater department has like a TV wing. They were busy doing their own stuff. And we were like, yeah, we, we'd love to help you, but it's too late. And so I just emailed every production company in town. And a couple of them quoted me at like $30,000, which is, you know, they should get paid for what they do. But one guy who runs his own shop, Stuart Poulton, great guy. He was like, oh, he's English. He was like, oh, Brett, yeah, I, I make a lot of money going around filming these conferences and things. And every once in a while, I like to do something just for me. And uh, so I'm at your service. And I was like, what? So, he, so, so, the, so the, the last minute, the whole festival transitioned to like this hybrid thing where he had like a three camera shoot going for the audience. And and we basically ran like a live television show for five yeah, days. I exactly. I was gonna say that it's like that's a major production, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, but, that's awesome. Yeah, it couldn't have been done without Stuart because he had been he had already figured out how to run like a, a conference for like you know a, some big corporation with maybe one assistant. So he'll he'll do five cameras, but with one other person. So he's got like a little insane. remote control, and so and and he's got like what he set up in the library. He used to do live news. It looked like a newsroom, like like it like all these computer screens. And I was like, yeah, it was insane. I'm sitting there looking at this, like, oh my god. He's like, yeah, Brad, I invested in all of this because I don't like working for the people. <laughs> he's really got a dry <laughs> sense of humor and and he does he just kills it and he does these events and and he'll do any kind of event and conferences and inter he was doing interactive we we discovered a couple of really exciting possibilities as far as like interactive so i did i did an interview show 
we found like everybody that was involved in the festival who had TV credits and we just put them all in one interview and they were all over the place. You know, they were from all over the place and we, and I had, I had a live audience, but they were on zoom. And so it's just like all these cool things. We did another like hybrid class where some, we had a teacher, Brian Lohman up on a screen and he was in Los Angeles and the, but the class was all in the same room. Oh, so wow. we just just started flipping it all different ways to see what what was possible. That's uh, cool. Are you, what are you guys planning for 2022? Well, we're planning to be able to pivot no matter what position we're in. So that's what's yeah. that, like now that we've experienced that we're like, okay, LSU has now given us given like we have to, you know, get insurance like, you know, we take care of the basics, but they have loaned us their theater from april 20th to the 24th this beautiful black box theater they're also probably over the weekend going to let us use classrooms and so we can set up all the cameras we need it's got like it's got risers we it sits uh, depending on how it's 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 put together up to 90 people in the audience like it's a great space for improv and so we're gonna we're still in the process of figuring out like what all that's gonna look like but the sky's the limit because if if we get another wave of covid we can we can either put all the performers on stage with each other like like they do with a movie set just make sure everyone's tested and make sure everyone's healthy and put them on the stage together and and run it live out through our website. Well, that's um, great. All the best of luck with that. And I hope people who are listening are interested. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's going to be a really exciting thing. It's going to be an exciting thing. Hopefully in April, we'll be in, in that position to have an audience and everybody will feel safe doing that. And we're going to hopefully get a, a couple of heavy hitter, exciting teacher performers to come in and do some shows and teach workshops. We're going to have a stand-up competition that's going to kind of run alongside the improv shows as well. Super exciting. Super, super exciting. Yeah. BatonRougeImprovFest.com. Uh, the new website is, is up and running. Please come and check it out. There are okay. submissions. If you want to come down to Baton Rouge, if you only want to go online, you can submit to do that huh. and then we're going to kind of wait and see how many of those we do you know we're just going to stay flexible awesome yeah so it's 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 really thrilling it's really it's really exciting can't wait to hear how that goes um i can't believe it we're at the end of the episode now it's now time to create something together and oh, great yeah and i'm wondering let's see <laughs> and if you have an idea, that's great. You said creating a character. Creating a be... character. Yeah. And so, because mm -hmm. I know that you, you did do some study into that. And I was wondering, is that for acting or is that improv or is that both? Uh, well, I, it's, it's for the, the advantage and the disadvantage of having a scripted piece and creating a character is the time that you have to do that. So what's kind of fun about getting a master's degree in acting is the my thesis, I got to choose what my thesis was and pitch it to the department heads. And and my, my thesis was creating characters that were organic and believable. Because mm -hmm. we, all, we all know those improv players that can transform into characters. And some of them have that extra special sauce where you're like, 
oh my god i know that guy <laughs> like or <laughs> I, this woman could live in the world that's crazy and others they're great like they're amazing and they're transformative but there's always like a like a like almost a cartoony element to what's going on and that's there's not that's just right. an aesthetic i don't think that's a right or wrong thing but but that other that other believable aspect is super challenging and that that's what's something that i was always interested in like how do you how do you do a character and have it not kind of in a cliche way take over the performance right that's something that and i like, often think about yeah i mean because it is some people will say like oh jack nicholson isn't a great actor or leonardo dicaprio isn't a great oh. actor because they're the same in everything right and they're uh, saying yeah, you, that you, because yeah. It doesn't have those, they don't always put on those aesthetics. Right. But I totally disagree. You, you know, the Julia, people always give Julia Roberts as that example. And I, yeah. And I, I say, oh, yeah, yeah, you try to be yourself when they're spending a hundred million dollars and you're you being yourself name yeah. underneath the title. <laughs> right, Just try right. to be, try to be yourself. Relax, relax and be yourself. <laughs> that right. some, that's a level of, that's a genius level of confidence and, and craft. Yeah. That's a, there's a craft. That it goes is a this. craft. And, and the nuance that those actors are putting into their roles yeah. is what makes them great actors. Always, always hate it. When people say, especially Jack Nicholson, I mean, what in the oh, world yeah. are you watching if you're saying right. he's just the same and everything? But like uh, the nuances that they put in, there's very subtle changes, right, right. but so, they are they are crafting the words a certain way and they're still building a character. Yes, absolutely. And and even if building a character is like finding a deeper place of yourself that you're sharing, I think that's what those that's what a movie star does movie star mm -hmm. and if you watch someone's career like like brad pitt is the first thing you think of when you say movie stars you, people just go brad pitt oh, right, you think right. of like the arc of his career like he's just a good looking guy you know being a being a drifter in thelma and louise and like but that's just him being him like that's hard <laughs> to do and yeah. then and then by the time he's doing like these epic films he's you know, he became deep and older and because Brad Pitt was just getting older, getting, having life, you know, but right. also, but also he studied the craft of acting, which is like reverse engineering life. Like that's what, for me, that's what that kind of acting is. It's, it's psychological. It's, it's psychophysical. Chekhov, Michael Chekhov talks about like, it's, yeah. it's embodying the world and the life and the thoughts, but there's, there's something really interesting about being a human being. Yeah. One of our biggest flaws is that we're delusional, mm -hmm. right? People like think they know what you're thinking. They get offended what you talked about, right? They think mm -hmm. they know people think they think they know they imagine something. Depression is probably caused by I've had it, you know, probably caused by imagining the worst possible scenario throughout everything based on thin evidence of a couple of some bad things happening in life. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and so this is a huge human flaw, but as an actor, it's a huge gift. Yeah. Because you can create an inner life and allow yourself to believe it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then if you're if you do it as a craft, you can turn it off like a switch. And that's right. And that's how you keep it healthy. Mm hmm. And and so that's a big tool that you're using in creating a character. You are you look at this because 
so many people think acting is just memorizing the lines and saying them in some interesting way, but to be authentic is the goal at expressing human emotion and human nature. And so sometimes you do have to do that with an accent. If you're playing a person from a specific place or or playing a real life person or something like that. And there, you might have certain physical ailments that you want to present as well, or, or just physicalities that you need to present. But ultimately you're trying to be authentic with all of those things. And in order to do that, you have to not be hokey or hacky with how you do the physicalities and the voices, but also you have to be authentic by having a mindset that this character is in. And that means saying, well, this is the life that they've lived and you have to develop that and create that in your mind. Right. Cause, 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 cause a couple of things, like you're right on a couple of things you said, they're just like, yeah, because who are we? Sure. There's a tremendous genetic, you know, of, of maybe, uh, certain talents or things that we, but we're, we are so much the experiences that we had. So, Mm -hmm. so, so daydreaming is a powerful tool. And then, and then what you said, like Mm -hmm. uh, not being hacky about an accent. Well, we already talked about how, if, if I've got a new England accent, what goes along with that? A whole belief system about the way people are. Right. So if I, if I, if, if I got a Southern accent and I, and I, and I talk a little bit, there's this role in my voice and, and that happens, but there's also, if that's not accompanied with the idea that, well, most people are good and I give them a chance. And, and if someone asks me a question, I'm going to give them time to, to talk and answer. And cause that's the way I was raised. And you don't, you don't swear and you go to church on Sunday and all those right. things that may not be written in the script mm-hmm. that you can, that you can make up and you can, and, and those, that was just off the top of my head. Right. You but you really... can utilize all of that with how you present the character. Cause if let's say that it's that character who doesn't like that, people curse because they grew up in church. Right. So if another character in a scene they're in curses, then they're going to maybe blanch. They're going to have a, they're going to look a certain way. It's going to physically hurt. It's going right. to physically hurt. And that's what people who don't mind swearing, because I don't mind swearing. <laughs> you can tell I don't fucking care. But when people <laughs> do, their belief systems are so true to them. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what someone else believes. It right. is the same as being slapped in the face. Mm-hmm. And it, it will actually, your, and their brain will create a thing that makes it physically hurt for them. And so right. if, if you don't blanch, if you don't wince, you can't, and you can't put it on, I mean, right. you can, you can just put it on and wince when someone swears, but it's better to actually like upload into your, I call it uploading, but you, you, you put, you daydream that and you put that into your brain so that it actually will happen organically when you're playing the part. Exactly. And then also let's say that character, cause some people will say like, well, all of the story is in the, in the script. So if that character has a, a line where they curse. So I guess that character would curse, not necessarily, right? Not like, necessarily. It might be the breaking the, point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so you would right. present that a certain way. It wouldn't be like someone who right. curses all the time. It would be someone who this is maybe the first time they curse. And so right. that's a How powerful fun is moment. That? Right. Yeah. And you want to yeah. play that power of that moment. You don't want, For you're sure. not just saying the lines you are playing yeah. Yeah. the moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i so, love that so so 
one of the things that I teach my students, and I, I love this idea. I, I, I actually, it's it's from an idea from from a, a teacher who is from Russia who came over. It's that what you see on the page is the tip of the iceberg, right? So the difference between something sounding true mm -hmm. and a lie is that the truth is an edited version of everything that happened, right? Yeah. Like if you told a story about something that happened yesterday, your brain is just going like, not that, not that, not that, this, not that, not that, not that, this, right? That's how you tell a story. Because if you told the whole story, it would go longer than this interview, right? <laughs> you, <laughs> right? Like if you said everything, it goes on and on. But if I just say I was, I almost got hit by a car crossing the crosswalk. Uh -huh. If I'm lying, I don't know the color of the car. I don't know who the driver was. I don't know that there was a baby in the back seat of the car. And oh my God, why would they drive like that with a baby in the car? I wouldn't even know what intersection I'm at. But right. if I have more information than I'm actually saying in the script, then it starts to sound like the truth. Yeah. Like so yeah. much information that I am even having a hard time remembering what my lines are. Right. Because I have to think of it because I'm like, is that a line or one or one I wrote? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it sounds like someone talking. Mm -hmm. It's one of the many different things you have to do. But, and, right. and that has a lot to do with the character. Right. And that's not a separate thing. A lot of people think it's separate. Like you just go, you just put on a hat and you, and you, right. and you squint one eye and you, and you, and you put on a pirate accent, you know, and now I'm a character, but like, what does the pirate believe? Right. Because pirate that believe, is going yeah. to influence everything they say and do is what they believe. And so right. you have, if it's an improv scene, Right. then yeah you, you a character isn't someone who just has this voice and this physicality it's it's yeah. what they believe because you've right. got to be able to yes and authentically you've got to be able to absorb yeah. what is happening to your character in a way that they would absorb it and then present how they would respond to it and you can only do that if you're doing more than a physicality right right and like everything in improv that people people forget is that you can practice improv and you can make lists of things and you can practice, you can be prepared to improvise. So if, if you're, if you practice taking on different belief systems while you're, for example, the silly, I always use pirate because in every dumb improv show, someone ends up doing a pirate voice, right? But what is the pirate <laughs> believe? What does the pirate believe? The pirate, doesn't even know that stealing is bad. Like <laughs> he or she thinks that people who think stealing is bad are like wimps. Yeah. Right. And, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I had this mind blowing experience. Like I was teaching acting years ago and I heard an interview with George Foreman and he said, I didn't know stealing was bad until I was 18. And now he's a oh. preacher, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so like what we believe really shapes who we are. Like, yeah. how do you kill a Viking? They don't <laughs> care if they die. You're going to lose this fight. They're hoping they die in this fight and go to Valhalla and live forever. They're not a Christian who, who brought on that belief system later.
They never mm-hmm. had the idea that murder was 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 bad. Mm. That's right. So I mean, like, yeah. When you start to think in, in terms of that, it could be about anything. Everybody believes muffins are disgusting. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell oh, me otherwise. Really, yeah. Right. Right. So once you get there with, and if you do it spontaneously, like. I'm I'm totally obsessed with this other character. I love them. I love 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 them. Everything that they say is gold. Mm-hmm. We've all been there. Yeah. But when you see that in an improv show, you're like, oh god, I've been there. Oh, I feel so bad for this girl or guy right now. Yeah. Who is so in love and so obsessed? You know, oh god, right? But if you just put on that you're in love, it's like, yeah. it's cute. It might even be gross. <laughs> yeah right but if they believe this person is the cat's meow they are perfect yeah holy shit it changes everything that you say yeah right it's all wrapped up i think that's one of the things that people don't realize about playing characters that it really is wrapped into everything it's it's the environment it's not it's the relationship mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not separate from those things no it, it is, is a part of those things like once once we know the environment once we know the relationship once we know when i say environment i mean like where they are and uh once we know where they are and where they're from and who they are to the other people in the scene Mm -hmm. that is developing character yeah tj and dave have that book improvisation of the speed of light yeah. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. I can tell by the yeah, way you're speaking it. that you're you're familiar with it. <laughs> I'm uh, such a big fan of theirs. Yeah. Yeah, they're 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 brilliant. I had an opportunity to see them once in Chicago live and um Oh, they're brilliant live. They're, yeah. they're so brilliant. And um yeah, that whole idea of of heat and weight, right? Yeah. Like let's do a few things. It might be a few seconds, but instead of just throwing it out there like I guess the example from the book is like you're my daughter, you know, like, like, you don't know that, like, they might, they might be playing very high status, right? The, the way yeah. that someone just walks in the room, they're like, they're walking like a queen. Why do you make, why did you just make that person a toddler? Right? Right. It's because, because you, you had an idea, which is fine. And there's nothing wrong with it. And, the, and if you have a good partner, they'll, they'll, be a toddler playing a queen and and justify you in two seconds but but just to take a few moments to 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 feel like in that like psychophysical way like what does it feel like to be in the space with you right now and allow that to inform like well it feels like we're in a mine shaft (laughs) right and you're my boss right like yeah yeah i think an example they gave in there is like oh he's he's kind of looking at me like my brother or something like that you know like they're they're picking up on that sort of vibe and that feeling right and then and then you can read each other's minds instead of at 10 percent, like at 50 we're like yeah maybe i wasn't exactly thinking the brother relationship was exactly the way you were thinking but i was definitely thinking that we had a close relationship and so when you said brother, I was just, it was really easy. My brain didn't go, okay, well, what? My brain went, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Because it had the right feel, you know? And so, yeah, the, I think the, the, I think people, people 
and I say in general, like teachers who are like learning their craft and everything, some of them will be like character relationship, objective, uh, you know, either the where or the environment, the E or the W. They'll get to a point where they're like, well, we don't do, we don't do that anymore. And yeah. it's like, it's kind of baby with the bathwater. The way I think of it is <laughs> yeah. now that's all just one thing. Mm-hmm. So when you, we split it up so you can think about it because it's hard to think about all four things at the same time. But then when you get really good at it, like where we are is going to inform our, like you said, where we are does inform our relationship. And and what my character is and what your character is, like those are those are like two two chemicals being poured into the same jar. Right. Like, you know what you have in your chemistry set and I know what I have. And then we're going to see what the reaction is. And what's the reaction? You know, it's it's the scene and it's our relationship, right? So, so it's a challenge for some people to to boldly create a character. But what I think a lot of, especially like two, three, four year improvisers don't realize is that you can just go, hey, let's spend three, four days just creating characters and just doing that. And it's not cheating having a catalog of 10 characters that you play because you won't do them the same every time. Right, you know, right. It's better than doing one. I mean, it's fine to do one thing in every scene. You know, Stephen Colbert did, and he's doing <laughs> fine. Right? He did it even at Second City. He did that was kind of a running joke. It was his thing. That's what he did. But if you want to do characters, write an autobiography for. You know, start with one and then create five, ten, twelve, and then you'll have 20. And then you'll have so many that people will come and see you. And they're like, I can't believe how many characters he, this guy has or this guy has. But, you know, I just don't think it's cheating. I don't either. I mean, because yeah. what people end up doing unconsciously is that anyway, where they play the same right. three roles and the, and because it, they're not it, trying to grow right. and develop they just, into anything. They just else. do it poorly. <laughs> so they, right, yeah. they do the same thing, but poorly. So to, <laughs> right. to, to kind of, I, I, you know, to kind of hope for magic in an improv scene, I think it's a hope in hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a hope in hell. You're going to go out there and then everybody wonders why their team gets worse and not better. better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. well, well, you stopped rehearsing because, <laughs> you know, because life is busy and blah, blah, blah. And the improv show feels like a rehearsal. And then it really feels like a rehearsal. Yeah. And then, and then you feel like you're doing a parody of yourself. And you're like, why is yep. this happening? You know, because it's hard to watch people better than you and go, oh, they're really better. And then go, what are they doing? <laughs> and then maybe even ask them and go, Will you coach me? You know, stuff like that. That takes a lot of humility. But I've always, I'm always looking for my next coach. Even, even though I'm like professor of acting and improvisation and blah 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 blah. No way, no way. I gotta find. There's a lot of la 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 la. Four lots at least better than me out there in the world. You know what I mean? And I and I yeah. wanna, you know, and it might not be in everything, but. You know, they're, they're people with specific skills and I want to learn them, you know, so why not just keep learning? It's so, it's such a great, it's a, such a great way to live. There it is. I love this talk. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Oh, Brett. Jason, you are awesome. Thank you for listening to my coffee filled rants for the last two hours. <laughs> 
so great having him on. I hope you enjoyed that. Submissions are open for the Baton Rouge Improv Fest. Go to batonrougeimprovfest.com for details. You can also check out what he's up to on the NNBP website, nnbproductions.com. Follow the Improv Fest at Baton Rouge Improv Fest on Instagram and Facebook. And follow Brett on Instagram at Brett Talks. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. And you could also follow me on Instagram at Jason Far Picks and on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 